When a young man wakes up in the morning, he finds strange handprints in his kitchen. But little does he know the true terror awaits in his bedroom. And then we travel to Ireland to take a journey down a footpath with a little girl out for a walk while she just expected to spend the morning enjoying nature and a little bit of solitude. She instead comes face to face with death itself. Today on Dead Rabbit Radio. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of Dead Rapid Radio. I'm your host, Jason Garvener. I'm having a great day. I hope you guys are having a great day too. I hope you guys had an awesome weekend. I hope every one of my listeners, big or small, new or old, spent their weekend watching Transformers Rise of the Beasts. Let's make it number one from now until the end of time. It was an, it was an okay movie. It's just If you put a Transformer in it, I'll go see it. Not only will I go see it, I'll talk about it incessantly, but someone who never minds me talking about Transformers, someone who constantly uh, asks for more uh, Autobot-related advice, walking into Dead Rabbit Command right now, transforming into our newest Patreon. Everyone give it up for the one, the only, Ren. Woohoo! Yeah! Wee! Yeah! Woohoo! Come on in! Ren! Ren! Ren, you're going to be our captain. I think it's Ren. Rahin, maybe? R-H-I-N? Ren. Maybe it's Ryan, like Rhinoceros. Uh, you're going to be our captain, our pilot this episode. If you guys can't support the Patreon, that's fine too. It really is. Just help spread the word about Dead Rabbit Radio. That helps out so much. Tell your friends, tell your family, tell everyone you know. Dead Rabbit Radio is the place to go for your paranormal news. Also, a quick reminder, this Friday, Friday, June 23rd at 6 p.m., we are doing our 5th anniversary live stream special on YouTube, if you want to be there and interact with me and the rest of the Fluffle live, please join us June 23rd, 6 p.m. It'll be a lot of fun. I'm really hoping you guys transform and roll out to be there. <laughs> I promise I won't talk about Transformers during the live stream. Actually, I don't promise that. If someone brings it up, I have to. Ren, let's go ahead and start off by tossing you the keys to the Jason Jalopy. We're going to leave behind Dead Rabbit Command. Drive us all the way out to... A house in the suburbs. Nice, leisurely drive to this unnamed suburban community. We're about to meet this guy. Let's go ahead and call him Tony. We don't have his actual real name. We do have a date for this story. It's fairly recent. May 8th, 2023. Tony said that he woke up one morning. He shares the house with his girl. Well, Tony wakes up one morning. And it's time to let the dogs out. <laughs> we finally solved the mystery, ladies and gentlemen. We know who did it. He His morning chore is to let the dogs out while his wife is presumably doing her own chores. And he walks into the kitchen. The dogs are <laughs> kind of like barking around his feet. They're so excited to finally be able to go to the bathroom in the fresh, dewy grass. Well, he has to walk through the kitchen to get there to open up the kitchen door so they can run out into the backyard. And while he's walking into the kitchen, he has one of those stainless steel type fridges. And he walks by the fridge to open the door and he looks and he sees on the side of the fridge are two huge handprints. 
Now he's looking at the handprints because if you have one, if you if you don't know if you have one of those metal fridges, like every single time someone just casually leans against it, <laughs> they've left the thumb impression in the stainless steel for all time. You can never get these smudges out, and they totally stand out. As he's walking by this stainless steel fridge, he looks and he sees these two huge handprints, and he's looking at them, and the dogs are still, <laughs> and he's like, okay, okay. There might be an entity from beyond in my house, but first I do have to let the dogs out. They're going to poop all over the kitchen. So he opens the back door and the dogs run out. Well, after the dogs run out, he's, he's kind of transfixed by these handprints. In fact, he took a photo of them. He thought this was so bizarre to find these giant handprints. And we don't really have a sense of scale. I'll, I'll obviously have the photo in the show notes, but... They're bigger than a human's, we'll say that. I mean, I'm maybe if Kareem Abdul-Jabbar came over, I'm not saying that he's not human, but the man is quite large. Is he even still alive? I'm not for sure. I don't follow basketball. But it would be, I would say, a little bit bigger than an average hand, probably an NBA player's hand, but on the stainless steel fridge. Well, he doesn't have any friends in the NBA. Did, at least he didn't mention that. He's like, oh, yeah, I had a huge party for the Denver Nuggets. We just said there are these huge handprints. There's not really, like I said, a sense of scale on this fridge. However, the way the handprints are, the fingers look longer than, like, the, the, like I know how human hands look, obviously. If you, the fingers look pr- disproportionately large compared to the palm, is what I should say. Now, you know, Jason, this, is that it? Is that the phenomenon? Handprints on a fridge that's basically designed by science to be the most hand-printy fridge ever? Those I hate those fridges. Because they're immediately dirty the second you get them out of the store. You're like, ah, oh, yes, this brand new fridge <laughs> is just covered in handprints. You're like, what? I have, No one's even opened it yet. Where did this come from? Handprints from the future are appearing. It's a quantum fridge. It's funny because I read that, I looked at the photograph, and I said, there is a possibility that, you know, someone... It is weird because there's not a lot of other hand marks on the fridge, and it's possible that someone put their hands on... It almost looked... To me, it reminded me of either someone was trying to push a fridge the way the hands were positioned, or, not to get explicit, but if you were having sex with someone and they were pushed against the fridge, you know, like they're bent over and their hands are on the fridge, because it's possible that if you're engaging in sex against the stainless steel fridge, that your hands, <laughs> I would assume your hands would move a little bit. You're like, ah, oh, the power of Thor compels me to be in one place during coitus. If someone's hands are on the fridge and you were having sex with him from behind, their hands are going to move up and down. That's what I'm saying, right? And the fact that his wife's like, oh, I don't know where those handprints came from. He's like, hey, honey, uh, do you know uh, <laughs> who left these handprints? She's like, what? No, not me. Not me at all. Her hands are freezing cold. He's like, give me a hug. She's like, no, it's okay. It's okay. Let me run my hands under uh, hot water for a while. I'm looking at the photo, and I go, there's a rational explanation possibly for this. It's an interesting, it's not really even that interesting of a photo. It's just a photograph of some long fingers, which could also be friction marks. So why am I talking about it? This is what I find so fascinating. We talked about this just recently, I think last week, about my buddy who's like 10, 11 years old. So he has zero real knowledge of the paranormal power levels out there. And he told me this absolutely weird story where he was like traveling through dimensions. That's really all we can think. 
I'll put that episode in the show notes. And I was like, what? <laughs> like, he's telling me this crazy story. And as he's like shuffling Pokemon cards, it was like nothing to him. Well, Tony kind of does the same thing. He posts this online underneath the name Jeffrey. He posted it. So I found big handprints on my fridge was the name of the post. And he's really going into detail about this and the pretty much story I just told you. But then he goes, yeah, there's been some other weird stuff in my house. Uh, In fact, one night uh, I was headed to bed and I shut off the bedroom light and I walked over to my bed where I have like a little uh, bed lamp on a dresser or whatever next to the bed. He goes, I shut off the bedroom light. I walked over to the bed and I clicked on the bedroom lamp, the bedside lamp. Click. I'm sitting there in the dark. What? Click. Nothing. Click. 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 He keeps trying to turn it on. It's not turning on. He's like, whatever, dude. I was planning on doing a little bit of reading, but whatever. (laughs) Obviously, I don't have night vision. I'm just going to go to bed. Tony crawled into bed. And he goes, I was rolling around in the bed and I was trying to get comfortable. And one of the things I did while I was squirming around is I slid my hand underneath my pillow. And underneath my pillow was the light bulb for the lamp. Now, that's a post. (laughs) That's a post. That's what you lead with. Now, I get it. Maybe... Maybe it's because that had happened before. He didn't really think anything of it. See, to me, that's way more alarming and way more hard to explain. The handprints, you know, you could kind of hand wave them away. (laughs) No pun intended, but I guess it's a funny one because I left at it. This one, you have a light bulb (laughs) unscrew itself. Listen, here's the best case scenario. Your girl is cheating on you. And some guy's like, I like to do it in the dark. And he unscrewed the light bulb. <laughs> he goes, hand I like boyfriends getting glass in their head. I want him to lay down and shatter this light bulb. I'm going to put it underneath his pillow. That's your best case scenario that your girl's cheating on you with some sort of maniac. We talk about this, the power level, right? To For an entity or for some sort of paranormal event to move move things like that. We see it all the time in the movies, but it's very rare. And a lot of times it's things like, Plates falling or silverware falling. It's stuff that is precariously placed in the first place. Putting ceramic plates high in shelves, things will fall, right? It would be easy for a ghost to kind of just push something to make a bunch of stuff fall off of a counter. To knock over a bunch of stuff. And even that is a a, a high-level spirit. A lot of times those are very, very antagonistic, evil spirits. To be able to un- think about the mechanics that it takes a human to do this, to unscrew a light bulb, pick it up, and then slide it underneath a pillow. I mean, I get it, like a six-year-old kid can do it. But for a ghost, that is very, very strong energy to be able to just unscrewing the light bulb a little bit, just just kind of pulling a prank and making it so your light didn't work. That would require a certain level of the power of the paranormal that we don't normally see. That's way more alarming than handprints on the fridge. But it's weird. He went with the handprint story. That was what finally prompted him to post this. And it's, I don't know when the light bulb story happened, but as a paranormal researcher, that is way more rare. Handprints appearing, I mean, again, 
that's one of those things that we may see a lot of, but since there's not a lot of surfaces that have handprint are that hand printable, like a stainless steel fridge. I mean, there could be ghost handprints all over your house and you wouldn't know it. Where a ghost is kind of watching you sleep and it kind of puts its hand on the wall. Or where it's like gripping the ceiling above your bed and its head is turned around and is just staring down at you. You're never going to see those handprints. You're never going to see those handprints because it's just paint, stucco. I mean, like, they're not very handprintable to begin with. They don't leave a mark that well. But light bulbs unscrewing themselves and sliding underneath your pillow, that's something that wanted to do something that wanted to leave you in the dark, leave you confused, and let you know it was there. And that is not a good combination. <laughs> Those are not good combinations when it comes to a paranormal entity. So, Tony, we wish you the best. We hope you're still alive. Um, but uh, definitely that is something, that second story is something you want to get checked into. I believe, really, probably the two things are related, the handprints and the light bulb. But it could be two different things. But who knows? Who knows? Rin, let's go ahead and toss you the keys to the Carpenter Copter. We are leaving behind this man's house. Let's fly all the way out to Ireland. I do want to do a really quick Dead Rabbit Radio Recommends as we get started here. But it's not just a recommendation for an individual movie, but more of the artist himself. So we do, we've been doing these Dead Rabbit Radio monthly movie nights for the Patreons where instead of sitting and watching a full-length movie, which for me, if, you, if I ever invite you to watch a movie with me, I'm telling you right now, it's going to be a total crapshoot. It will not be a Transformers movie. I, I find the weirdest movies shot on like a 2008 iPhone that are just mind-blowing even though like the product it has zero production value much much like my show movies like the girl in the crawl space or miranda vale or butterfly kisses or he's watching and these these have all been dead rabbit radio recommends i'll put them in the show notes but generally in my private life when i'm not at the movie theater cheering as i was during transformers it's not a joke i was violently shaking my friend at the end i was like did you see that did you see that um, in the privacy of my own home, I watch, uh, I sift through trash. I sift through trashy movies because very often I find a, an amazing film that no one's seen because it didn't get any distribution or it didn't have the film quality. But that's why I like doing my Dead Rabbit Radio recommends. This is interesting because this is different. Um, we do the Dead Rabbit Radio movie night, so we pick short horror movies. That way you can kind of check in and check out. You're not married to a two-hour time period as you, we're watching a movie and you're, you constantly just keep commenting, what? What's going on, Jason? Why are we watching this? There, One of the movies we, we watched the last time was a movie called Clap Clap. And it was, to me, it was the standout of the night. It was about a haunted clapper. You know how you would turn on your light, you clap on, clap off, clap on, clap off, the clapper. That, but it haunted, <laughs> you're like, wait, what? It was a haunted, it was a haunted device no one uses anymore? It was a clapper, I'll put, the, I'll put it in the show notes, all this stuff's going to be in the show notes. It was a clapper that when you clapped your hands, you went to a different dimension. 
And you're like, well, Jason, you just gave it away. Well, I'll tell you right now, it's only three minutes long. It's a three minute long short horror film about if you clap and the lights go off, you go to another dimension. And I, I really liked it. It was probably my favorite video of the night. And I started going down the Alex Magana rabbit hole. And that's the Dead Rabbit Radio recommends for today is the collected works of Alex Magana. What he does is he shoots a three to four minute long horror movie every week. And he's been doing it for like four or five years. He's putting out a video a week. I think he probably batch records them because a lot of them take place at like certain locations. But even that, even like being like, I'm going to shoot 10 short horror movies today. It's like, dude, that's that's off to you, man. I've never even been able to shoot one. He makes a short horror movie every single week. He had a series. He had a three-part series about a killer mime, which I really enjoyed. Again, like just the work ethic and the ideas are good. They're not boring ideas. They're interesting ideas. So I'm recommending all of Alex Magana's stuff. I'll put his YouTube channel in. I mean, seriously, it's like watching bite-sized Twilight Zones and they have beginning, middles, and ends. The storytelling's on point. The acting's pretty good. The camera quality's really good. All of that. Hats off to you. I'm such a fan of Alex Magana's work. And I thought this was absolutely hilarious. And people have been wondering what in the world this means. He did a series of movies called Smiling Woman. And he also on his website sells a t-shirt. An all black t-shirt that just says on it. Smiling Woman with a little like smiley face on it. I bought that shirt. I bought that shirt the night I knew it existed. And I wore it the very next day after I got it. And people are like... Why are you wearing a shirt that just <laughs> the shirt just says Smiling Woman? There's no context. It might be one of the best pieces of merchandise I've ever bought, fan merchandise. People have been like, why are you wearing why are you wearing this shirt that says Smiling Woman? And I never answer them. Sorry, I probably should say, oh, it's a really cool short film series from Alex Magania. I'm not help getting the word out about that. I just go, oh, yeah, it's pretty cool, huh? And and multiple people go, what does it mean? And I go, smiling woman. So so thank you, Alex Magani, for all of the entertainment. Like I said, I've barely scratched the surface. There's hundreds of these movies. And thank you also for the most incomprehensible shirt I've ever owned. I really appreciate both of those things. But Dead Rabbit Radio highly recommends checking out Alex Magani's entire body of work. He's made some full-length films. A comedy and two romantic comedies. I, I'll watch the comedy down the road. I'm not interested in the romantic comedies. But all of his stuff, all of his short films are free on YouTube. Check them out. They'll be in the show notes. Alex Magana. Dead Rabbit Radio recommends Alex Magana's short films. And and like I said, The Clapper especially. There's a lot of good ones, though. You really can't go wrong with this stuff. Rin, keep flying this carpenter copter out to the Emerald Isles. I'm putting on my shirt that says Smiling Woman. I'll be wearing it for the rest of the episode. Fly us on out to Ireland, land of leprechauns. And hit that time travel button because we're headed back to the year 1914. We're back in time. It's June 1914. We're in Ireland. Specifically, we're at Spike Island. That's in Cork Harbor, Ireland. We're about to join a little girl out for a afternoon stroll. Sun is high in the sky. Everything's totally fine. 
as we're watching Eileen, as we're watching this little girl, we're creeping up behind her, trying not to draw attention to ourselves, as we watch this little girl, Eileen is her name, walking by the sea. Now there's like a footpath, this is a, well not a highly populated area, there's not like a big city there, it is 1914 after all. It's not also in the middle of nowhere. There's quite a few cottages along her walk. Now, Eileen is just kind of walking around, enjoying nature. And by her own account, she said, most of the way, she was just kind of staring at the ground. Looking down, she's like, oh, look at dirt. <laughs> there's some more dirt, little rocks, and there's a snail. What, what a great day. She's walking along this path near the sea, and she's starting to approach the house of the local doctor. She looks up, and standing over by the local doctor's house, he had this wall near his house, and on the other side of this wall, she saw a man standing there. She didn't really think anything of it, right? You know, Like I said, this wasn't in the middle of nowhere. You're, going to see, you're definitely going to see people walking around outside of houses. And she takes a couple steps closer, continuing on her way, when suddenly she is frozen in place. Because what she is looking at cannot be a man. She said the wall was around five feet tall. And whatever was standing on the other side of the wall was so tall, she could see it from the waist up. And her brain finally clicks in. Nothing, there's no human that that's tall. Someone, if someone might send me a photo from a Guinness Book of World Records, I'm sure there's at least been one person that tall. But imagine you're so tall that your belt line is five feet. Like that's where your belt goes. It's already five feet up in the air. She freezes in place. And she stares at this really tall humanoid yet not human figure standing on the other side of the doctor's wall. And at this point, her brain's kind of processing everything. She describes him as being humanoid, you know, head, arms, pre presumably legs, right? She can't see that, but presumably very long legs. Eileen described this figure as having a glistening yellow color. She doesn't mention clothing, but if this thing was wearing clothes, it was the same color, a glistening yellow. But it could just be a naked humanoid. And she says this thing was impossibly tall. It was all the same glistening yellow color. And it is just kind of standing there, staring out into the harbor. This is an island. Eileen was walking by the sea. And this figure has not seen her yet. This figure is just kind of scanning the area, looking out over the water, specifically looking at this harbor area, but continues to kind of just move its head as if it's looking for something. Now, it's looking away from her at this point. She can't get a good look at its face, but it's just kind of slowly scanning the area. And then it slowly begins to turn its head towards Eileen. Very slowly, in fact. Not like it notices her in any sort of fashion. Not like she's 
given away her location, she's been frozen in place for the last few moments. She's making no noise to alert this thing, but it's slowly turning its head. And as it continues to turn its head, Eileen does get a good look at its face. In particular, she sees one of its eyes. Or lack of eyes. She said that its eyes were simply voids. Deep, dark, eyeless, empty sockets. Where the eyes should be. And this giant creature continues to slowly turn its head towards Eileen. Eileen's terrified. She can't move. And it's still turning its head towards her. At that point, she hears a voice speak right next to her ear, and it says, If it looks straight at you, Eileen, you will die. And this creature's head continues to slowly turn towards her. Eileen is paralyzed with fear. She cannot move. Now she knows she needs to. (laughs) The voice in her head told her as much. She can't move. Finally, at the last moment, as this creature continues to arc its head towards her, she finds her footing and she takes off, running in the opposite direction. The local doctor's cottage wasn't the only cottage in the area. There was another cottage about 20 yards from where she was at that she had passed previously. She ran as fast as she could to that cottage, to the neighbor's cottage, and ran through the front door. The next thing she knows, her face is dripping wet. And she's trembling on the couch of Mrs. Riley. Mrs. Riley was the next door neighbor to the local doctor, and Eileen is laying on a couch while Mrs. Riley has a damp rag, and she's just kind of pressing it against Eileen's face. The second she had ran into the cottage, she passed out. And the kind old Mrs. Riley was bringing her back to the land of the living. Eileen was so terrified her body was still shaking. Mrs. Riley continued to just press the damp rag against Eileen's forehead. Eileen looks up at Mrs. Riley and says, Oh my God, I was walking down the path and I walked towards the doctor's house. And you know how he has that wall by his house? I saw something absolutely dreadful there. It's horrifying. I thought it was going to kill me. And Mrs. Riley looked down at Eileen and said, You are not the first one to see that, my dear. And you will not be the last. I got 
that story from thingaboutitdocs.com. They got it from a book written back in the 70s called The Middle Kingdom, The Fairy World of Ireland, written by Dermot McManus. Long-time listeners to Dead Rabbit Radio know I'm not a huge fan of fairies, but, but you know, if you're almost going to get killed by one, that's interesting to talk about. I've talked about this before on the show, that I do think there's been a divorce of the world of the mystical as we've become more modern. And people go, well, that's because we figured out more science stuff. We know this stuff doesn't exist. But I think it's a little bit more than that. I think it's one of those things that, let's take if you're learning another language. Let's say that you're bilingual, you know, English and Spanish. To maintain both of those languages over time, you have to continually be speaking both. So you may have a family at home that speaks Spanish, and then at your workplace they speak English. And you'll remain fluent for years and years and years because you're constantly using both. But if you learned Spanish in high school, you did four years of Spanish in high school, you're actually really good, you're fluent in Spanish, I think is the actual word, which is a French word, oddly enough. You're fluent in Spanish, and then you never use it again. You do four years in high school, you really, really enjoy it, you get your second language requirement done, and then you never speak Spanish again, 20 years, 30 years down the road, you may remember some of the stuff. You may remember some of the words. You may be able to kind of pick it up if you happen to be watching a telenovela, some soap opera from Mexico. You may be able to remember that. You may be able to put it together. But it's not as intrinsic. You're not going to be able to understand it like you used to. And you're definitely not going to be able to understand it to the person who's bilingual. And then you have the thing as if, like me, I never took Spanish in high school or college. My second language was American Sign Language because you, you can't mispronounce stuff. And you guys know I have a big problem mispronouncing things. I can watch Spanish language television and I'm completely lost. I just know that the women are beautiful. The women are absolutely beautiful on those channels, all of them. But I have no idea what's going on. I understand that there's something there happening, but I have no concept of it. Like, I'm watching these people. I can tell that they're happy. I can tell that they're sad. I can tell that they're running in fear because the bad guy showed up in this soap opera. But other than that, I can't interpret any of it. And that's really a way to look at the world of the supernatural. There are people who are... You grow up in that world where your parents believe in the supernatural, your church, your clergy, they believe in the supernatural, the literature you're reading believes in the supernatural, the whole culture believes in the supernatural. So when you're growing up in, you know, any time period really previous to the 1800s, you had a working knowledge of the world of the supernatural. You knew how to avoid it. You knew what signs to look for, to tell if someone was possessed. Now, sometimes, right, they're killing mentally ill people. But, I'm t- you know, like the overall scope, I do believe that there was a closer relationship between the human world and the paranormal world because everybody believed it and everybody saw the signs. And while you, there were times where people may have misinterpreted that and killed a bunch of people, I do believe that, uh, we talked about that earlier, kind of late last season, earlier this season, like, I think it was mostly late last season, like the people in Appalachia today 
they're still very connected to earth magic. They're, you have cultures today that are still really involved in that. They believe it and they pass it around from generation to generation. So those children will see those signs quicker than someone who was raised in California and went to public schools and was taught none of this stuff exists. And I think that that's kind of the same thing. There, I think there pretty much is a point where you stop seeing people interact with these things on these grand scales. Someone's looking at this monster. It's going to kill me if I look... Like, who was even the voice, right, who said that? What was going on? She was connected to that. And the woman who lived next door goes, yeah, there's, there's a monster over there. You're not the first person to see it, and you won't be the last. Nowadays, you could walk by the same area. You could walk by the same area. I don't know if the doctor's cottage is still there. I don't know if the wall's still there. For all I know, someone could have built a Hyatt hotel there looking out over the harbor. But the phenomenon would still be there. But because we're not as plugged into it as we used to be as a culture, there are even, I would argue, most individual ghost hunters, most ind individual paranormal researchers are not as plugged into it as a child growing up in the 1800s. I think the most professional paranormal researcher today, I would argue that's the equivalent of someone who is bilingual, who doesn't use the language on a day-to-day -day basis. More so, you know, a paranormal researcher like myself, we're constantly reading this stuff, but it's not 100% of my environment. My parents don't believe in it. Most of my coworkers don't believe in it. A couple do. My friend Molly, she does. But you know what I mean? It's not ingrained in the culture. I may have learned the language of the real and of the paranormal. But it's not as... My connection to that world after three decades of research is not as much as this young six-year-old girl named Eileen. Which, like, I don't know if I said her name earlier. But I would argue that's true. And I would say that most people who have no interest in the paranormal, they, they are me watching Spanish language television. If you have interest in the paranormal, you're someone who's at least looked into the other languages. You can make out the grammatical differences between Spanish and English. You might be able to speak it on a conversational level. You might be able to speak it enough to you know, give directions or get directions. But the people who don't believe in the paranormal at all and don't research it, they're the ones who have no experience with the language. And the reason why I'm bringing all this up is there's three different types of people walking down that footpath today. The people who were raised in this culture, their parents were raised in this culture, their grandparents were raised in this culture, who 100% believe in the pull of the supernatural on the real world. And I think they would be walking down this footpath and they would see that entity and they would hear the voice and get out. Paranormal researchers, people who aren't raised in that constant culture, aren't surrounded by that constant culture, but do have a interest in the paranormal, dig into the stuff like you and me, where if, even if you don't believe it, at least you have an interest in it enough to listen to, listen to a daily paranormal podcast. We would walk down that footpath. And I think we would just feel, if that entity, because I don't think it's there all the time, I, otherwise it'd be a pile of bodies, but if we walked there at the same time that entity was there, we may not see it. 
we may just get a sense of dread. Something doesn't feel right. We might get that, we might get that sense of dread and uh, walk away. It's possible that we see the figure. It's possible that we hear the voice warning us to leave. But I think someone who has knowledge of the paranormal, they just, we will feel like, I don't feel welcome here. Something doesn't seem right. And we would also leave the vicinity or hurry along our way if we really needed to get past this cottage or who knows what it is today. It could be a gas station, but we would hurry along our way. And you'll see this a lot in ghost hunting shows, right? When they bring the medium out, a lot of times they talk about, I don't feel right here or I feel like a pressing on my chest or whatever. It's still very vague, which I think that the best paranormal psychic today, the medium today, would be less equipped to deal with these things than someone who lived 1700s, 1400s, something like that. But the ones you got to worry about, and we'll wrap it up like this, are the people who have no working knowledge of the paranormal. They don't know what to look for. They may, as they're walking along this footpath, may feel something. But since it's not connect, since they don't can't connect it to any sort of broader sense of knowledge, they may completely ignore it. They may just think it's nothing. And they may not feel anything at all. It would be the equivalent of someone who's a tourist from another country coming to America and going through a bad neighborhood. They don't know it's a bad neighborhood. They don't know what signs to look for that it's a bad neighborhood. They don't see all the busted windows and the graffiti everywhere. They're just like, oh, America, America's such a great place. I heard about the streets of gold. I haven't seen those yet. And you're in an area and you get robbed. Because you didn't know that that particular section was not a section that uh, pretty much anyone ever goes through unless you live right there. It's the same thing. They're not, they don't know what signs to look for. They don't know the difference between artistic graffiti and gang graffiti. Where anyone who lives in a major city who grew up in that area would be able to go, oh, that is artistic graffiti, or that's just someone tagging an area, putting their name on it, versus um, that clearly says Crips, and it's been crossed out with a red X. We're not, in a, we're not in a good area, guys. Just everyone take off your blue clothing. Blue man groups driving through there. They're like, oh, no, this is our worst fear. We're talking for the first time to scream. Someone who had a working knowledge of gang culture could recognize those signs, but they may not know that particular area is bad until they see it. Someone who grew up in that area would be like, I don't even go there. I'm the mayor of town and I don't even go through there. Someone who knows nothing about the area, nothing about the culture, nothing about the signs of gang culture, they would just drive through there and get robbed. And that's the same thing with this. You would be walking down that footpath if you had no interest in the paranormal, knew nothing about the paranormal, don't believe it exists, nothing. You're walking along that footpath. You don't sense that. You definitely don't see anything. You don't sense the danger. You don't hear the voice. It's just a sunny day as you're walking along the beach.
There's no way to avoid that which you do not know exists. You can't run, you can't hide from something that you don't even believe in. You are just standing there on the path, looking out over the sea of Spike Island. That's the last thing you'll ever do. Because little did you know, on the other side of the garden wall stood the creature, and he was looking right at you. DeadRabbitRadio at gmail.com is going to be our email address. You can also hit us up at facebook.com slash deadrabbitradio. TikTok is at deadrabbitradio. Dead Rabbit Radio is the daily paranormal conspiracy and true crime podcast. You don't have to listen to it every day, but I'm so glad you listened to it today. Have a great one, guys. <laughs>